What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Such a good cover, Talk Recorded live. If you hear the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of the Scuba Obsessed Netcast. Come back in a few hours and we will have an edited version already for you. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 236 is recorded live April 9th, 2015. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the green side of the state of Michigan. Joining me this week is we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. I have just come back from the dark side, so I'm into the light again now. <laughs> Mac's referring to our, our pre-podcast conversation. If you're in the chat room, you could have heard all sorts of conspiracy theories and been on government watch lists as well. Uh, joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just fine. We also call Jim our handler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but it is getting green outside, isn't it? Believe it or not, I took a walk this evening with my daughter, and we're saying, my God, I don't know what he did to his lawn, but he needs to mow it. Yeah, it's just happened. It's all that pent-up winter. You've got uh, fresh rain and warm weather, meaning 64 degrees. Yeah, I've got to get my lawnmower working. It died at the end of last year, so that will be one of my projects, probably my Sunday project to get that going. Because if I don't have it, it you can go from it being a simple job to uh, a humongous effort. Well, you can bail it instead of cut it. Yeah. Now, Jim, with this nice weather, is this when everybody comes into the dive shop and says, oh, I forgot, maybe I need to have my stuff serviced? Well, we have seen an increase in tanks coming in for hydro. That would be me, (laughs) which which I haven't been in yet. (laughs) No complaints on that. This this is the time to get them in for hydro. How how about the boat side of the business? Is that starting as well? Oh, yes. Yes, people are coming in, have been coming in, talk to one guy today he said i've been working on my boat for three weeks yeah still buying parts for it and um a lot of people in my neck of the woods will store their boats and rvs at the fairgrounds they give you a pretty good rate to store them covered in uh, the fairground buildings and they came out a couple weeks ago so i'm sure all those people are working on them some years it feels like that that checkout from the fairgrounds is late in the year because you, you had a nice weekend and you wish you had a boat to get out. But this year it seemed to be just about right. And you can start seeing it pick up there at the uh, boat launches and some of the slips are starting to get boats in there. Boats. As soon as they figure out their, their engines are not going to freeze, yeah. after they use it, the boats are out there. Yeah. yeah. This is, yeah unless you got uh, out outboard like uh, Bob does, 
kind of have to wait for that no freezing weather. We could still get some frost, but I don't think we're going to get enough to that, anything that would freeze a block. I hope not. Yeah, it would be bad. Uh, the the fruit farmers. Uh, I was looking at reports today, and it looks like peaches are going to be a little tight this year. Uh, some of the U picks have already announced they're not going to do U picks for peaches. You're going to have to buy them. Uh, looks like some of the some varieties of grapes have been damaged, but uh, cherries and apples seem to be okay so far. That's your uh, market report. If you make any money on the on the market, uh, be sure to send us a check. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into Scuba in the News. We have a follow-up from an article. The, if you remember, we had seems like people are always losing their wedding rings in the water. And we had one couple whose ring was found. Uh, Annie Dis... Oh, goodness, another name. Disgagney? And her husband were walking along. Oh, wait. I'm not even in the right article. What the <laughs> heck? <laughs> Oh, I had yeah, all this talking stuff. About Martin here. I'm talking about what? I can pronounce Martin. Martin. I just <laughs> lost the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, one, that one's a little bit easier. Okay, here we go. Oh. Yeah, this is a very highly scripted podcast. A couple lost their wedding ring uh, while on the honeymoon is now going to renew their vows. Vows. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the couple who were reunited with their lost wedding ring after discovered by a scuba diver in Mexico, they have renewed their vows in an intimate ceremony along with the man who found the ring. Martin and Jessica Castillo from uh, Nuevo Larda, Mexico, lost the ring, which belonged to Mr. Castillo while he was scuba diving during their honeymoon in Playa del Carmen. This was in February 2013. They give up any hope of finding the ring. But a Massachusetts resident, Daniel Rorick, uh, picked it up from the ocean floor a year after it was first lost. Now the honor of the lucky reunion, the ring, Mrs. and Mr. Castillo have renewed their vows and even asked Mr. Rorick, 22, to serve as their godfather of the ring. I'm not saying the Spanish term for that. Uh, took place the same time as their original honeymoon. Oh, in the same town. Same time. I just make up words. Who needs an article? Well, then the, the rest okay. you're, you're fine there. It's just the government is interfering with your they're, they're, articles they're, they're, and dithering with you. Yeah, they're, they're feeding sounds into my headphones. That's true. Making, making letters disappear. Yeah. Go right ahead. And let's see, the next one is somebody got lucky. Uh, any, uh, how did you mean that? Lucky. Not dying is pretty lucky to me. Oh, okay. So Annie and her husband were walking along the breakwater in Ogden Point Saturday afternoon, and they spotted a scuba diver in distress about 25 meters out in the water. The diver was horizontal in the water. She could hear faint cries for help. The pair didn't have any cell phones, so they asked a couple next to them to call 911. It was intuitive, she recalled. I looked at my husband and said, someone's, have to get, someone's going to have to get her. That's all I thought. The former triathlete, a 49-year-old Vancouver resident, ran down to the steps on the rocks, took off his running shoes and socks, and dove in the water. She seemed to be moving farther out the water, he said. 
When he reached her, the diver's dry suit was inflated like a balloon. The waves kept splashing over her head, which was lower in the water than her body. She was taking on water. She was coughing. She wasn't coughing crazily. She just seemed numb. Her eyes were closed, and she still had her mask on. She tried to keep her head out of the water, looked for the valve to release some of the air out of the suit. She managed to push the diver closer to the breakwater where several men waited the water to help pull the woman to safety. The woman's diving partner eventually surfaced and said the pair had become separated while diving and he had been looking for in the dark waters. A diver herself, uh, she said she experienced diving in deep water at the point he knows it's dark down there. Uh, good news is that uh, the diver was released from the hospital and it appears to be okay. Interesting article, and you could tell she was a diver when she said, looking for the valve to let the air out. As soon as I read that, it's like, she's a diver. Yeah. She wouldn't mm-hmm. go through that. Mm-hmm. And it she sounds like to do. lady, yeah, it sounds like she definitely had air in her boots. So her legs were up and her back would be down. Well, you know, it could be happening is sometimes, and it even will happen with a BC, not even just a dry suit. But if you are just coughing or spitting up water, and you 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 know you you're you're trying to do everything that you mentally think gets you out of the water, and you inflate that BC, and there gets to be a point where it can be so buoyant that it will turn you horizontal. So you you'd much prefer to be bobbing the water. Now you're you know tilted back, or if you've got a back plate and a wing, you might be forcing your head down into the water. Yeah, too much buoyancy on the suit. Yeah, well, and that's... Floating on the surface and and back plate on the upper part of the body, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that kind of brings out a good thing to try out before you need it in an emergency, is to just familiarize yourself with how your gear would react. You know, overinflate it while you're at the surface to see what it would do. Yeah, I, I had a, a nice pool party last Friday at Bridgman. Yes. Uh, put on, I think it was uh, H, not H, yeah, H2O. H2O, yep. They had uh, 50 participants in it, and that would awesome. have been a great opportunity to overinflate your suit and see how difficult is it oh, yeah. by yourself to get doing, out of it. Doing that stuff in the pool, and, and I, I can't recommend that enough when you get new gear. Just treat it almost like you're a new diver. I mean, you've changed out some of your variables. Uh, get a chance to figure it out. You know, how's it going to react? How are, you know, how, where are the buttons? You know, build up that muscle memory. If you, if you, if you got a new BC, the length of the inflator might be different. Uh, the buttons work different. I mean, there's been a lot of times where, even with my experience gear, you can some, you know, it's kind of like driving a car, accelerator, brake. Uh, you can hit the wrong, wrong button. And then part of that comes to just keeping your wits about you. Don't panic. Yeah. And again, that's easier said than done unless you practice the scenario. Yes. Which most of us do not. Yeah. Well, that's something that Jim Kleeman and I were talking about. Is we thought about making a set of like flashcards with different scenarios on, and then when you're, you know, either before you're going down or when you're coming up you know, pull a card and then act out that scenario and practice it. You know, you make every dive a training dive. That's recommended by Dan also, matter of fact. Really? 
Now, not necessarily flashcards, but they recommend doing such things like you're going to do a five-minute deco stop as a safety stop. Do some buddy breathing. Get used to doing it when you don't have to. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think that many of the training agencies have eliminated buddy breathing as a training. Just it's very few people know how to do it properly, and you know, they determine to increase risk. Right. They use they 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 depend upon using the octopus. So that's what I'm also saying is don't necessarily do the regulator bit, but practice with your, your octopus because that's what replaced, you know, the buddy breathing per se. Yeah. Well, yeah, and figure out how you're going to offer that to somebody else. Uh, where is it attached? Uh, you know, a lot of us are up here will uh, do long hose. So you, don't, you donate the one that's in your mouth, which is the long hose, and then you've got uh, the tie around your neck. Mm-hmm. Well, here we have a chinchilla survives a plunge into Lake Michigan. This one's out of Michigan City. A what? Uh, chinchilla. Oh, uh, chinchilla? A chinchilla, not a chinchilla. A chihuahua. <laughs> chihuahua. Jumped off her shoulders into the water, you say? <laughs> yeah. How many? How much milk have you had with your cookies tonight? <laughs> I still got a centimeter left in the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> That's better than those damn armadillos, I tell you. <laughs> armadillos don't plumb very good. I got to write this time down. That's going to be the intro. <laughs> Ah, uh, so uh, <laughs> I don't want to say chinchilla. Chihuahua. Uh, the police got a little log. A rat on rat. Yeah, a rat in leash. Police Department, the U.S. Coast Guard, had to save the dog from Lake Michigan pack ice last weekend, and this is actually uh, two weeks ago. Uh, just before 4 p.m. on Sunday, police received a report of a dog that had that was trapped in the ice, having escaped its owner's vehicle in the Washington Park parking lot. Officer Jason Crackneal and Brian Wright were the first ones on the scene, alerting their supervisor, Captain John Kintzel, as to the situation. The Chihuahua was trapped in the ice about 40 yards from shore. There's a channel before the actual ice shelf that was frozen over enough that it would support the little dog's weight. The owner of the dog tried to walk out the rescuer, but the ice is not thick enough to support the weight of an adult. At one point, the dog attempted to return to land but fell through the ice. She treaded water for a short time uh, before making it back to the pack ice where she ran along the edge of the water looking for a way back to shore. She was afraid and cold enough at that point that she began to succumb to hypothermia, which I have to think of chinchilla. A little dog. A little dog. (laughs) That size, that would have to be like two minutes. I mean, there's like no mass there. Uh, just but they're high energy dogs. Yeah, they are. They 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 shake a lot, even when it's warm. Uh, a member of the Laporte County scuba diving team telling him to prepare for the rescue of the dog. Uh, Coast Guard Petty Officer Third Class James Pooh was already there with a dry suit and had headed out. Poe broke through the ice, making his way through the water as deep as five feet at some points. Reaching the pack ice, Poe wrapped the dog in a blanket and made his way back to shore. The dog was stuck in the ice shelf for about 25 minutes before being rescued. She was taken to the North Central Veterinary Emergency Center in Westville for treatment. The dog was extremely hypothermic. 
She was pretty lifeless, uh, Mink said, adding the dog's temperature upon arrival was 68 degrees, when typical temperatures would be about a, for that dog would be 101 to 102 for canines. That dog should be dead. Yeah. I mean, if that had been a person, that would have been pretty much it. Oh, that would have been, yeah, up there, correct. Yeah, fortunately for the following day, Mink said the dog was eating and maintaining a normal body temperature. She's great. She made a very fast recovery and is very, very lucky. So that pack ice is not something to play around with. As well we know. And speaking of pack ice, you know, we do not have any ice on the North Pier side. Did that fight? Is it gone? Yep, totally gone. I was thinking about getting out there the other day, but... Unfortunately, a lot of people had to work, and I didn't have anybody to go with me. Can't and Bob I, get that nuclear plant fueled up? You could give them bring a boat out. <laughs> it's getting that way. We can get rid of those darn dry suits and get back to the wetsuits and get out there. Hey, I just fixed my dry suits. i got to test them out yet, so I'm not ready to go wet. Uh, I think i got a wetsuit. Now that I got a dry suit, I guess I could wear my, my wet suit or the uh, string bikini, as we like to call it. <laughs> Actually, I made a mistake. Well, I didn't really make a mistake. You thought you made one. Well, <laughs> no, I made a mistake. And then the customer decided after I corrected the mistake that they didn't want me to correct the mistake. Which was a mistake and a mistake. Right. So I have a 3X wetsuit that I need to get rid of. Ah. So (laughs) I'm afraid. What was the mistake? Ordering a 3X wetsuit for this customer. Oh, Well, they they were denying that they were a three X. No, they wanted it. Oh. Until they, they they wanted two. Until they put on the first one, and then decided they didn't want either. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll I'll have to take, come down there and take a look. See what you got. Just, just so you know, there's a, a spare three X wetsuit laying around. Okay. Now, here we have a hyperbaric chamber going under $350,000 for refurbishment. hope That's, you've got a good web link for that. I do. Didn't, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's, it should be in Skype. If you look in Skype, I can okay. it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that, that was uh, another one of my fun playing with Macs and shortcuts. It's the government trying to screw you It up. is. They were messing me up. That and them chinchillas. A uh, hyperbaric chamber undergoing $350,000 for refurbishment. And this is up in the Bruce Peninsula. Does anybody have any idea where this is? This has got to be in Canada. They, they Bruce mentioned Peninsula, Bruce, Bruce Peninsula, I believe, is Tobamori. Yeah, Tobamori. Okay, good. Uh, so so that's uh, right there with Canada, Michigan area? Ontario. Ontario, okay. So the hyperbaric chamber near the tip of the Bruce Peninsula has been used to treat scuba divers in distress for nearly four decades. A fundraiser is currently underway to raise $350,000 cost to refurbish a replacement vessel, which was hauled to Tobamore a few years ago that is, no, that is now larger and more accessible to use to treat and educate and train even more people. 
the goal to have the new chamber up and running by June 1st. The little chamber we had been using was awful tight quarters for doing any work. It's about 54 inches internal diameter. The new one is 72 inches. So we saw an opportunity to move up, and it was also allows us to enlarge the program quite a bit. This according to Dr. George Harper. So, But even at 72 inches, that's got to be about half the size of the one that we've got in Kalamazoo. Uh, or less. Yeah. So they had, it was really just 54 inches. That's tight. So you could just get basically a diver and a tender in there, couldn't you? At 54 inches, that would be real tight for two. Yeah, you just put about the diver. Because the one they're showing, which is the newer one they're working on refurbishing, that even looks tight. But there's going to say they can get like up to four people in it, I believe. I don't know how. That's pretty freaking small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, originally it was set up for diving accidents and the bends and air embolisms and things like that. Now our biggest is wound care and wound healing, diabetic ulcers, people that have had radiation treatment. We treat them before and after to help promote bone and skin growth. Anything that involves getting pure oxygen to damaged tissues is a, is a to promote the healing. Yeah, they, they say they really only have one, uh, at most they see one decompression sickness a year. And that's good. That is good. And you want to have one for when you really don't need it. Yeah. The chamber, that is. Yes. Yeah, and you, don't, you don't want decompression sickness. <laughs> Uh, the vessel that is undergoing the refurbishment was used at Toronto General Hospital until 2002. It was then placed in storage at Seneca College. It arrived in Tupamori in 2012 and installed the community's new medical clinic, which was built last year. Tupamori Hyperbaric Facility Incorporated was formed in February 2014 to raise money for the refurbishment project. At present time, there are some of the wounds that are being treated, particularly by home care that go on to interminably for years. At the end of time, it ends up costing the system huge money. Come to the order sixty to to $100,000 a year for a home visit routine for some of the chronic wounds with all the materials they take home involved in misery and suffering of the patient. So it's important to improve the situation when you get the wounds that will be uh, response, uh, respond to healed. Get those wounds that will respond to healed. Oh, okay. I read it a little bit out of order. Tons of treatments could also be expanded with a refurbished chamber. And if you want to see more information about it, it's www.tobamorihyperbaric.ca for the project, and I'm sure they'll take your money. Lobsters. Now, do me a, fair, a favor, Darren. Are you on the page already looking at all the guys holding up the spiny lobsters? No, not yet. Okay, when you get there, let me know. Okay. And follow my directions. Okay, I'm on the page. Okay, now, I'll put the left. Yep. You see it? I'm clicking them a weird into the lobster. Do me a favor. 
read the name. Okay. Captain. Okay. The, uh, the, the, okay. The uh, spiny, the 2014-2050 spiny lobster harvest season closed a week ago Wednesday. It's likely to go down as one of the most unusual ever. Recreational commercial divers said they enjoyed bountiful catches since the season opened August 6th. For the first time, bully netters' catches suppressed those of the commercial divers. Commercial trappers coming off the previous season of the highest landings in a decade harvested fewer bugs than ever in the past eight months, but have sold their catches for two to three times the price. So it's a real catch-22, says Tom Matthews, a veteran research scientist at Florida Fish and Wildlife Research Institute's Marathon. Is a big surprise to me that fishermen thought it was a good year. Uh, during the 13-14 season, uh, commercial divers, uh, lobster fishers, the majority working in the Keys, bought 6.2 million pounds, 6.2 million of the bugs. Matthew said they kept their traps in the water longer because they were being paid as much as $18 per pound, while whole live lobsters uh, by buyers from China. The catch level was so high, scientists said they expected limits set by the federal Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Act. Managers thought they would require a cut to allowable catch the seed to make up for the overage. But that didn't happen because fishermen brought in way fewer bugs than expected. Current projections are 3.1 million to 4.4 million pounds the season ends. The lobster fishery is known for fluctuations. It averages 1.5 million pounds up or down each year, so this has been a bad season total. But because of the higher prices per pound, fishermen didn't see a problem. Uh, troubles have been looming over the lobster fishery for at least a decade. Matthews pointed out the average lobster, lobster landings over the past 10 years have been down by one-third, scientists are trying to figure out why. Possible factors include a lobster virus discovered in 2000 that affects juveniles, overfishing in the Caribbean where the larvae uh, settle in the Florida's inshore nurseries originate, loss of juvenile habitat in the Florida Bay and elsewhere, and other environmental factors. Biologically, it's something that needs to be addressed. So that's kind of your free market working for you. Yeah, lower catch, higher dollar, which means the sport fishermen are getting more value for their yeah their catches when they're out there because they're not selling them. Yeah, they said before the advent of the Chinese market, the brothers could expect six to seven dollars a pound for their catches. This past week, they got eleven. Early in the season, they were getting eighteen. Hmm. We dove a lot more than we have in the past years. When the price is $16, 100 pounds is a good payday. You know, we're going to have to remember the site because they keep uh, seeing the headlines down here. They provide dolphin reports. Really? Mm-hmm. Must be a season for dolphins. Do they have like dolphin recipes? No, they didn't really say. They just they just said, you know, follow the dolphins. I wonder what mana steaks from. There's another one since we're talking about tasty things. Wait a minute. Get the latest dolphins news, stats, injury reports. Yeah. Sent weekdays during the season. 
That's unbelievable. It's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good they're into wildlife like that. Yeah, nice of them. Right, right now there's a bunch of people in their cars screaming at the radio, going, "You guys are numbskulls!" <laughs> hey, where, where do they mean us guys? <laughs> I know the difference between a chihuahua and a uh, chimichanga. Chimichanga. <laughs> that's that, that's just a little bit of batter and about 350 degree oil. Ninety-nine percent of what we catch, we throw back. That's better than throwing up. Yes. Or up. So this one is out of San Diego. They're talking about lobster fishing over there, where the last one was Florida. This is San Diego. Uh, so they their season is between October and February. It is lobster season. I will try to make best to call you back in a timely manner if you need me. Try texting me. This is. What his phone message will say if you call him during those months. So the last couple of years, I've only missed two days on the ocean. So he says in total, they have 200 pounds of salmon heads that he uses as bait late in the season. Medic likes to fish with 250 pounds. In the beginning of lobster season, it's not abnormal for him to have 4,500 pounds of bait on hand at a cost of about 50 cents a pound. Um, so uh, what he's saying is that a lot of the, di- the lobster he's pulling up, so out of a trap, it's not unusual this time of year to only have one or two that are keepers. The rest he throws back, so there'll be 40 bugs in the trap, and he had to throw it all back, and uh, that's a law to keep the fishery healthy. They have to throw the small ones of the juveniles back in the water. Says so the other day we pulled a trap of sixty lobsters, can only keep one. Ninety-nine percent of what we catch, we throw back. State law is that all lobsters under three and one-fourth inches, or also called shorts, be returned to the sea. They are illegal to sell. Uh, he pulls another trap. Uh, where he has kelp off. He says, if I catch 40 lobsters today, it's a good day for me this time of year. We have to gross about $1,000 a day, anything less than that, on a consistent basis. And he says, it's time to end the season. I wonder if instead of shorts, you call them crayfish? Yeah. <laughs> you think that'd be a different species and you could keep them because they'd be big crayfish wouldn't they yeah uh 40 percent of my catch gets stolen from divers now this is something i was alarmed by and and i wonder if he's over exaggerating you're hoping he is in october it's a race to get to the traps before the fees get to them we don't catch that many so if somebody comes and takes five lobsters from me that's a big chunk of what i made for that day it's stealing some people tell themselves it's not. He's even missed ever stealing from firsthand. He said, I had a scuba diver was right on top of my trap. It was clear water that day, so I could see him. I pulled up the trap as fast as I could. It was open and empty. Did I just, did we just disconnect? I don't know, but I wish he would say thieves instead of divers. And a thief was right on top of my trap. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's pick Jim back up. We lost him for a second there. I mean, you could say thieves instead of divers. Well, divers means everybody. Thieves is thieves. Or how about a scuba diving thief? Okay, there you go. I'm back. That's debatable, but... <laughs> he says, uh, I pulled the trap, got it up, it was open and empty. I did a couple circles over his head. He stayed in the bottom, swam all the way to shore, got out on the beach, jumped in his truck, and drove away. There's nothing you can really do. There's nothing to be gained from overreacting. He says, I mean, what am I going to do, pull a gun? What's wrong with your prop? (laughs) With your prop? (laughs) Get an extension on, use it as a weed whacker, take them out? Because the odds are, yeah, he says, says, uh, which some people do, odds are that they're going to get arrested. It's not going to do you any good. You could have tossed the anchor. Yeah. I think what you need to do is bait the trap with, uh, you know, like a like a lobster that would grab them, like a robo lobster. Just just toss over uh, one of those audible recall devices. Or how about chilla? You know the ones I'm talking about? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. explosive. Yeah, I was getting what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you may not get him, but he's going to wish he were in the vicinity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you're, what you're doing is recalling divers. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, here's another one. The next page, you see what he's talking about? So just outside of Del Mar, a couple of fishermen in a skiff, surprise medic. Instead of setting an anchor, the pair tie up to one of his traps. As soon as he spots the faux pas, the medic steers through the boat towards him and picks up speed. They quickly cut their line. <laughs> Assholes, medic says under his breath. Pulling alongside him, he shouts calmly over the engine, these traps cost me $80 a piece. They aren't strong enough to hold your boat. They acknowledge and apologize. No wonder my traps have been moving around. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know. I would not even think about taking something out of somebody's traps. No. I mean, that wouldn't even cross my mind. I I would consider stopping one before it got into the trap, but if it was in the trap, I wouldn't take it out because you know it's not yours. Yeah, once it touches the trap, you know, if it's crawling up the side or it's gotten to the trap, that's his. But if, you know, if it hasn't gotten there yet, then it should be free game. Well, that's pretty low life to do that. Yeah. yeah. Is this a uh, religious-based newspaper? The San Diego Reader. It says you can follow the Padres. <laughs> must they, must uh, do they now? Do they have dolphin news too? Nope. Nope. They don't nope. have any dolphin news. They just. So you can follow the Padres. Did you did you follow up on some of the comments at the end of this? Uh, I'm there now. 
I live in the Pacific Northwest. We often have crab traps, not lobster, not lobster traps. I have been a diver since summer 1966, Chulao, Vietnam era. I've never seen a diver take a crab from a trap. That's yeah. the way it ought to be. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's a problem is I think there's a little exaggeration. 60%? I mean, is that just an excuse for bad... Forty. I'm sorry, 40%. It still seems an awful high number. It it does. I mean, it's just kind of like a way of explaining the way you had a bad catch. I mean, you shouldn't have any stolen by divers, but uh, I would would question the numbers. Mm. Um, Okay. What's that? I like crab, too. (laughs) Crab are good too. Crab, anything that fishes, uh, fishes, <laughs> anything that swims in the sea, pretty much. If you can cook it. Yeah, if I know Mac, he would eat a mermaid. Okay, here's another one. This one's out of La Jolla. Judge confirms ruling tossing the La Jolla odor lawsuit. Superior Court judge uh, rejected claims a lawsuit filed by La Jolla business owners upset with a foul odor along the scenic coastline believed to be caused by sea lions and bird droppings. In confirming his previous tentative ruling, Judge Timothy Taylor granted the city of San Diego motion for summary judgment in the lawsuit filed two years ago by citizens for odor nuisance abatement. Uh, Norm Bluthenthal, the plaintiff's lawyer, said that the hearing is that he will appeal. The city's attorney office said the odors are part of the risk of being situated near marine environment. Sea lions are proliferating through California, and neither their fault nor the responsibility of San Diego. The city can address the pooping habits of wild animals as a policy matter, but it can't be compelled to do so by the court. The judge ruled that the city doesn't have the duty to control any nuisance caused by wild animals and isn't the cause of the odor. Uh, Blumenthal contended the city took on the duty when former Mayor Bob Filner signed a May 2013 executive order calling for guano left by cormorants to be cleaned up. There's no evidence the odor is off of effect. Uh, let's see. city has taken couple of steps to alleviate the odor, including spraying microbial uh, form on the rocks, installing a gate and a fence, in hopes of increasing presence of people in the bluffs would deter the sea lions from taking up residence. The liar said the bird stench was cleaned up, only to be replaced by sea lion odor. He didn't finish a job. Two years tells you nothing is going to get done, and people are suffering from it. You know, I am shocked and dismayed to find out that animals poop. Well, there's no basis for that comment, though, right? Mayor Bob signed an executive order. God, for people to know. Anyway, calling for (laughs) mono left by cormorants to be cleaned up is setting a standard. Yeah, but that is not. I mean, I can see where their basis is, even though both of them leave a lot to be desired right and 
does the mayor have the authority to commit the whole citizens of the county to cleaning up poop left by wild animals so that businesses who happen to be along the shore and didn't realize that there would be shore smells? Hey, it's an executive order. He doesn't need any authority. <laughs> Just like when especially, we especially when an executive order, you know, has to deal with crap. Yes. Well, I, it appears to be done, but uh, maybe we'll we'll be able to hear about that update in the year. Well, that's like when we had the alewives the alewives die off many many years ago. Mm-hmm. As you see, very, very right. Now, who are you going to sue? Nobody. Well, what they, what this association is maintaining is that they believe it's controllable and that the city has a responsibility to pay for the cleanup. Now, I'm sure if you wanted to raise the taxes to the business owners, you know, 20%, that they would be fine with that. Or if it's that bad, why don't they pay for it? Couldn't they hire a crew? Yeah, go on out there and do it yourself. Yeah. And see you out there with little doggy bags for the fish and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife who works for animal control, there's so much of that around where people expect the government to do things that you know, sometimes they're not even legally allowed to do. Uh, judge puts the kibosh on attempt to salvage Cape Cod shipwreck. This one is the Maine federal judges ended a Maine treasure hunter six-year effort to salvage what he claimed to be a $3 billion in platinum for a World War II ship off of Cape Cod. Judge ruled Wednesday that the Sea Hunters LP is no longer able to salvage additional items from the SS Port Nicholson, which was sunk by Nazi U-boat in 1942. The judge also denied an attempt by investors to win salvage rights and said evidence suggests that nothing valuable to salvage. Decision first reported by the Portland Press-Herald brings an end to the effort that led to criminal investigation and legal action by investors. Greg Brooks, Brooks believed the Port Nicholson carried platinum bars from the Soviet Union that were payment for the U.S. for war supplies. Now, is that possible? I mean, the judge did the ruling, so I guess it, it is possible. But are they able to make a ruling just because they don't believe there's treasure on it? Did you read the... This was something you had last week also, or the week before. Oh, does that, did I just not? No, this is similar. This is a different slant to it, but uh-huh. I think I, I'm trying to remember if this was in 700 foot, and it basically sounded like this guy said and was trying to get investors to invest money over a six-year period to salvage uh. something that nobody could prove was there. So it sounds more like he's saying, you can't prove it's really there. Nobody you know, agrees with you that's worth $16 billion, you cannot use it as a means to fundraise people to invest in something because you can't, you know what I'm saying? It's like... It was more of a fraud case than a... Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Case. Mm-hmm. So here's the guy who's been playing this up several other times, and the judge just said, yeah, you're not going to do that. Because it looks like it's been sued. If, if you had any proof at all there's $3 billion in platinum down there, you're not going to have any trouble getting somebody who's going to help retrieve that from 700 feet. Well, you have Odyssey. I mean, they've, they've got experience at doing it. That depth's much deeper than that. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's, if, if they knew that was really 
something that was even remotely possible, you'd spend a couple of million just to prove it is or isn't. Yeah. Yeah, the return on investment would be pretty darn good. Yeah, and that was three billion based on today's prices, not what it was when it went down. Yeah. Now on platinum, would that come up on a metal detector? I don't know. Now that you said that, where is that on the periodic table? Ooh, platinum's is that heavier than gold? I because I know gold will, lead will, silver. Well, here, let's let's find out. Yeah, I think Great. it will. Great big book Blocking of everything. Palladium. But if you're inside of a ship and you're going to use a magnetometer, duh, I think the ship is going to say, I'm, you know, it's going to cover it. It'll mask it. The, the ship is going to be with all the metal around it. And if it's been down there since uh, 42, I can't imagine that if you went down there with a submersible and just a couple of pounds of C4, if there's not any hole in it already, you could make a big opening that you could send a little robot in there. Okay, I'm, I'm on a website. Which I, I like this uh, this station. What's that? This, uh, this article we're reading, mm-hmm. I like this website. Because these guys report on patriots. <laughs> You're really trying to make the list today, aren't you? He's got them on fire. All I know is my little machines do not want to load down half uh, the site tonight for some reason. Smart. It's because you're on the Queen Mums machine. Yes. Oh, no, I'm using. A, I'm having to use a Chrome program instead of Internet Explorer. Yeah. Yeah, Chrome has kind of jumped the shark in some situations. I know Chrome's getting a little slower lately. I think this might be one we covered before too, isn't it? Scuba divers. Well, I'm still looking on that other one. The Port Nicholson wreck in 2008. Valuable metals led to a splash in the media in 2012, but there were immediate questions about the veracity of it. He eventually put his vessel up for sale and laid off his crew, which to me sounds scam. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm probably jumping to conclusion. Yeah, we have no evidence allegedly scam. Uh, scuba divers launched an appeal to find evidence of a World War One ship captain. A group of scuba divers launched an appeal to find the relative of the captain who died following the sinking of a ship in World War II. Merchant Navy Captain Arthur Liggertwood Murison was in charge of the SS Vitiguano, which was torpedoed on March 18, 1918. The ship had been coal carrier for the Allied war effort. It was hit by a missile from a U-boat. A missile in 1918? Did they have missiles? Sure. Or is that, or is, I mean, is, is that what they... Well, it could have been a, a surface shot. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Gun, gun projectile. Yeah, I, that must be what they Gun meant. projectile. They said it was... written uh, in the UK? Yeah, UK. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> Thanks to all UK listeners. Yeah. The, uh, if there's anybody that can butcher the English language, it's the UK. 
yeah, it's like, a, where do they think this language came from? Uh, the ship, which has been carrying, uh, let's see, the vessel is laying at 65 feet down the seabed off the coast of Exeter ever since. Now, nearly 100 years later, the British Subaquatic Club is preparing to perform a commemorative dive on March 18, 2018, to mark the century of the since, since the ship's demise. The run-in with the commemorative dive, the BSAC is attempting to track the descendants of the ship's captain. Captain Morrison was from uh, Methlick in Aberdeenshire, survived the attack, but died a year later in Grenoble, France, at age 58. Two men died when the ship was torpedoed, the first mate and the fourth engineer. Now it was torpedoed. So it was missiled and then torpedoed. Somebody got the source out and they're doing something. There's a club we intend to dive on her 100th anniversary of sinking in 2018 to commemorate her loss as part of the Nautical Archaeological Society Lost Beneath the Web's 1914-1918 initiative. That's a long name for an initiative. Uh, we'll be trying to locate relatives of anyone who may have served on her at any time of her sinking, especially Captain Arthur uh, Liggerwood Murison and the two casualties first rate first mate Rudolph Richards and fourth engineer John Chin not much is known about Captain Murison except that he was married to a woman named Annie Donaldson in May 1900 had two daughters Ann Murison who died in 1999 in Maryland in the United States and Agnes A.C. Murison, who died in March 1995 in Perthshire. Well, if they've got that, should that be enough? Uh, Mr. Braybrook, who has been diving for more than 30 years, added, it would be fantastic to find relatives of Captain Murison so we can share the project with our team, particularly dive. We are planning on this of the ship sinking. Anyone who can help locate the sentence or any further information on Bay Tagano, would urge you to get in touch with the Seven Side, Severn Side Subaquatic Club. Can't they just go to Ancestry.com and look it up? Probably could. By the way, that item they're doing, the, the Nautical Archaeological Society is encouraging commemorative dives on World War I wrecks through a new project lost beneath the waves in 14-1918. Divers around the world, sport, commercial, military, are invited to visit sites of World War I losses of any nation from now to 2018, as close as possible to the anniversaries of their symptoms. They're asked to share their experiences, observations, and any research by uploading photographs, video clips, and notes following their dives. So that's where they're coming from. Okay. That's, it's a cool program. long as you get a permit a permit to dive it hey government wreck you need a permit to dive oh wait a minute two people died on it right so you, can't, you can't do any exploration on that right it's like a tomb oh here we go you get a permit <laughs> to dive the monitor Yeah, that's that's because that's because the uh, the current from your fins will destroy the monitor. Right. 
Yeah, what's left of it that they didn't take already that you don't that, that, see. That they stole and stuck in a museum. <laughs> that that they then couldn't fund to finish the project, so it rusted in a tank. If you're an archaeologist, it's not thievery. <laughs> it's called Grant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one is out of Australia. Uh, underwater rugby champions will be held in Brisbane. This, oh, they were held this last weekend, hosted by the University of Queensland team, the Unidive Gals. For some years, Australia and New Zealand have been playing for a Hunter's, Hunter Cup, currently held by Australia. The Pan-Pacific competition is the first time a team from Asia will compete in Australia. Singapore is sending two teams. Underwater rugby is played in a deep pool, maximum depth of five meters, with teams of 12. Six players from each team are in the water at one time, and they use a bench regularly to cover their breath. The goal, goals are on the bottom of the pool, and positioned, positions are forward, back, and goalie. So the sport is new to Australia. The Gauls team was established two years ago and is known as the Unidive Gauls. It sprang from UQ's scuba diving club, Unidive. Underwater rugby is definitely gaining popularity. Last year, a team started in Melbourne. This team... This year, teams have sprung up in Perth and, uh, what is that? Adelaide. The Gauls were featured on TV show Totally Wild this year, and recently the Sydney team was interviewed by Mario on the footy show, which in the U.S. we have no idea what either of those are. Uh, UQ students and staff played in, in Gauls and are supported by Travel Country and Wit Sunday Escape. The problem here is who's got pools that deep? I, I can't think of a pool where we could play that. Just in that small section of the Bridgman diving side. Yeah, I just have a little That's section. a very small place there. So that, that'd be like playing uh, basketball with one hoop. Works for me. Yeah, you you have to can't run full court, so that would work. Yeah. <laughs> I can hold, I hold my breath to the bottom. Uh, so five meters, so we're talking 15 feet. Yeah, but that, you'd need that. So probably what they're doing is they're using uh, probably university diving pools to do that yeah. type of activity. It, it kind of sounds cool. I don't know if I would do it. I know. Not at your age. Probably not. You know, my, my walker would get caught in the steps going in. <laughs> Uh, the Canadian government unveils 3D models. Models? I, I only thought there was D and double D. I didn't realize there was 3D. You pay your money and get all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Must be that dark web again. Yeah. Uh, Canadian government under, unveils 3D models of the HMS Erebus. Partnership between the Canadian government and private industry unveiled high-precision 3D models of the HMS Erebus, Sir John Franklin's lead ship found last year in Canadian Arctic waters as part of Parks Canadia. Canadia? <laughs> Those Canadians uh, searched for the vessel that lost an 1845 expedition. The model was unveiled in uh, Frederick, is that Frederick Shen, New Brunswick. I think that's right. Officials from the Fishery and Oceans Canada joined the Canadian geospatial software company CARIS and Geomass Technology 
Innovation Support Center, Tectera, to unveil the models and used up all their acronym letters in one paragraph. Uh, Canadian innovation continues to play a major role in ongoing successful efforts to explore, research, understand our maritime history. It's a privilege to watch traditional means and modern technology come together to create a deep understanding of the Arctic and the Canadian identity. It's kind of neat, little little 3D model. Do you, do you think it blew up the picture to see what it sort of looked like? You could probably print that out with a 3D printer too. Yeah, well, I think that's what they did. They uh, they scanned the wreck in 3D and then modeled it and put it in a 3D printer. So uh, that's what they did. But uh, do you think there'd be interest in any of the Michigan shipwrecks doing that? I think you, if you were doing it, would have to have some significant history behind it, like the Griffin, something like that, or the Fitzgerald. I mean, a standard, you know, our, our sand wrecks and rubble wrecks, I don't think so. Our sand wrecks where you could take three three sticks from your backyard and simulate the wreck? Or if it washes on shore and the sand runs it away and then it's, oh, oh my, it's got a new shipwreck like they did last week. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't hear about that one. Up in the dunes, had pictures and stuff of it. It'll go away again. It does that every four or five years. But it's news every time it happens. Yeah, we had one article a couple of weeks ago where they had that. It seemed like that happened. And then here, here, just for you, aliens and UFOs are in the world's deepest lakes. That was interesting. I don't, I've already researched that one. but it's <laughs> So I'm going to let you go. And, of course, everybody knows about Muffon, right? The uh, UFO Network. If you haven't been to that place, you really need to go there. They have got some fantastic videos of UFOs that are out there yeah. and some really interesting encounters. I, I really like their gift shop, though. <laughs> They've got the, you get, I, I get, like the alien rides myself. Yeah, yeah they, they got the, the, you can get the aluminum ball caps and. I I cannot wear the aluminum ball caps. For some reason, they keep falling off from, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, maybe because I've got the foil too tight. Well, you know, they say a lot of men wear it on the wrong head <laughs> because they're supposed to use the one that they think with, not the one they do with or whatever. <laughs> Something about you lying, something called a jock strap. I don't know. Yeah, curious reports of oh, extraterrestrials are pulling Steven Spielberg to Siberia. To Siberia. Goodness. I should just quit now. Siberia. Wait, 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 wait. i got to interrupt here. Yes. I've got an important question for Mac. If you're using the aluminum foil to protect the important stuff, why would you not wear it in the jock strap? Because I use lead. I don't use them. <laughs> We're back to the periodic table again. <laughs> You're going to think that's funny, but lead jock straps have been used back on some experiments years ago. <laughs> Jim, I think this explains quite a bit. <laughs> it, it helps me explain why his wife says there's no lead in his pencil. <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to break out the sound recordings and give me a drum roll. <laughs> Simple crash. Uh, since ancient times, the lake, the Bacall, has been known as deeply mysterious, but the 
closing years of the Soviet area and since, there have been a number of alleged sightings of aliens and UFOs. Initially, these were covered up by authorities of the USSR, but later were revealed by the Russian media. In recent days, there have been unconfirmed reports that Russia, in Russia that American director Steven Spielberg is planning a documentary based on the weird and... Let's, let me go back. What, what date is this article? It's the 30th. Is it's, this? it's Friday, April the 10th, 2015. Not April first. I know. It's like I. I think even when I posted it originally, but this article goes on and on and on. And it's got some good pictures. Did you go through and do the interviews? I actually listened to all this. This is neat stuff. Yeah. This is this is a long one. I mean, this goes on and on. Yes, it does. That one lady looks like Rhea Perlman now. She recalls a UFO visit to the Chandra Salmon. Yeah. Yeah, it goes on. So if you're into aliens and underwater, this is an uh, involved article. Aren't all divers? Or most divers? Yeah. As long as they're not an invasive species, I'm all for it. Hey, they were here first. How do you think you got here? You were seated here, man. Come on. Uh, okay. <laughs> I would go to one of their conferences in a heartbeat. Wouldn't you guys? Oh, and especially if it was in Vegas. You, you know, I have uh, I have been to a conference with my dad in the 70s. We went to one. They had... Uh, and you was, remember it? Yeah, it was... It wasn't that young. It was uh, Omni Magazine. It might have been like 81, but it was Omni Magazine had these UFO researchers, and they were doing a tour, and they came to when I was when I lived in Midland, and we, we went and listened to the presentation, and they had all sorts of stuff. They had photos, and they put it up on screens, and you got to see it, and it was interesting. I edited one of my presentations I was given not too long ago, and I was talking about the Michigan Triangle, and the uh, you know people have a little interest in that aspect. But I went through the Muffon reports for 2012 and 13. Phenomenal amount of activity along the coast from da 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 St. Joe up to Muskegon, which is one of the legs of the triangle, and. There's a good bit of a new type, the, the triangle type, mm-hmm. that have been identified and caught on radar as, I don't know what those are, type items from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, now, it's quite interesting. Now, have you gone out there and have you noticed that if you're watching the sun go down, that it sizzles when it hits the water? Well, it has to. I mean, it, you know, it's hot, man. The other one is the green flash, which I still haven't seen. You haven't seen the green flash? I haven't seen the green flash. I feel neglected. Or I, I don't know. Mark was out there a couple of weeks ago, and if you saw the pictures he put on Facebook of the aurora borealis. Now, those are, those are cool. Well, are you sure? Or was that reentry flashes from 
alien aircraft. Or mm, could be. I mean, that's what some of the speculation was. That's why so many people were often watching. Well, we know there are things that happen that the government does not want to talk about. Absolutely. Like, like things that fall off airplanes that disappear. Yeah. Oh, don't even. Okay, we're back. We're back to the pre-show stuff. I've been I've been following this uh, this flight where the the plane crashed, and you as a pilot might have a, a, a thought on this. Where they the they said that the captain locked the other the other pilot out of the cabin. Yeah, the co-pilot locked the captain out of the pilot the cabin, okay. and then set the yeah the one that crashed in France. Now. From from people I know who have who piloted the Airbus, they said that that would be screaming so loud as you were coming down. But they said that the they claimed that the guy who was causing it to crash was calm because they could hear his breathing on the tape. But and they're saying no pull up, pull up, pull up, pull well, that, up. That's, well, they haven't released the audio. Conveniently. So, and then also they said on the door, if somebody's trying to break in the door, there's an unsilenceable alarm that goes off for 30 seconds. They said all that noise would be such a racket that you couldn't hear the pilot breathing. So there's a lot of stuff. Also, they they found the flight recorder, but a chip had fallen out of it and they couldn't find it. Does that even seem possible? Not on the flight recorder, yeah. but there was other items that have come out in the German paper, Der Spiegel, um, about they had actually found chips from people's uh, camera slash phones yeah. that they took during that last 10 minute ride down. And uh, now, is that sort of people who see some of that, even though I could understand why you would not want that publicized. But by the same token, I didn't do the calculations, but if it took you 10 or 15 minutes to come down from 36,000 feet, you know, that's not a really ungodly descent rate. 500 no. feet a minute is the standard for landing pattern for around here. Anyway. Well, they, they what they're saying is that he used the auto, that he, he used the autopilot. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm not, yeah, it's possible some of this stuff comes together. It's just the way it all comes out is reported. And some of this I blame on papers want to be the first to report something, and they're not vetting their sources. Well, so, the other aspect, after all these many weeks, have you seen any article on what the gentleman's religion is? I'm just curious as heck. Well, they real early on said he was Muslim, but then That's they retracted right. that. That was a German statement by um, another German organization yeah yeah there was some saying that he was on medicines that they went through his house and they found pills that he hadn't taken um but i mean just all the stuff the way the information comes out it's all it's all hard to believe anything one way or the other but i'm, I'm so you they, mean you don't trust the government in their information releases well is, is you mean it, you think the media might be misleading the public? Well, let, let, let's let's jump in the conspiracy. If if I'm an airplane manufacturer and my plane, which does have a, 
an occasion to steer itself incorrectly, maybe I might want it to be a bad guy who drove the plane to ground and not the plane having a malfunction. Let me just say, and that's a possibility. And the other thing is, if I'm a government and I'm trying to take civil liberties away, doesn't it make it much easier if I can get everybody to think that even highly qualified and vetted pilots are crazy? If a pilot's crazy, everybody's crazy. Nobody should have anything. This is a, this is a pre-show that everybody got the mess. <laughs> I, I think we need to do these, you know, separate show just for the conspiracy theories. Oh, I'm sorry, the chat room. <laughs> WTF is this? Guess five. <laughs> everybody just, I think we lost everybody in the chat room. All I said is I believe in UFOs. Come on. What the heck are these? Uh, these are people in the chat room I have never seen before. <laughs> and probably won't again. Well, yeah, I'm not going to say what some of the stuff they were saying. This is, this is. I think we got spammed in the, the chat room. Oh, I don't know. It might be our new loyal listeners. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us what they're saying so we'll have some clue. Uh, I don't think so. I'll tell you guys afterwards. It's okay. It's it's uh, pretty bad. It's not unusual. I think I think talk shows having problems, and these are people from another show. Because one of the comments oh. is, "Why can't I I request to join a call on any stream?" So that means that I think people are just wandering around, which yeah. does does happen from time to time. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm doing the erasing motion on my my uh, screen here, so uh-huh. I'm gonna start over now. Okay, okay. So we're doing a reset. Okay, photos of the week. We have a spectacular photo of a scuba diver swimming under a massive fish tornado, which I thought was a nice photo. National Geographic shot is a picture of a diver swimming under a shoal of fish in uh, Cabo Palma in Baja, California, Peninsula, Mexico. The picture was shot by California photographer Jeff Hester. Shows an ocean full of life, but wasn't always the case. It's an interesting picture. It would sort of freak you out, though. That would be... If you were in that, that would... Uh... I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be in that. If, if those fish had teeth, I'd be very concerned. <laughs> well, well, look at the size of some of the fish that are outside the group. Yeah. I mean, they're a good two and a half, three feet. And that tornado just looks to be filled with them. And they look like piranha. Or not. Yeah. I, I, I bet they, they taste like chicken, though. And let's see. We got some potentially cool, if I can get back to it, scuba gear. So... Uh, this might be a case where you want to be droned. Yeah, that's not, that's not a bad idea there. Well, you think about it, that would be much more effective than some of the others. And what we're talking about is this is a, the article is a Stan, the StanfordAdvocate.com, a drone attachment developed by Stanford to help prevent drowning. Uh, Fly out and drop a ring buoy. Yeah, Bill... Uh, 
Pedro was gathering feedback from lifeguards about his invention, which was a drone, an accessory for an alien drone that drops a life preserver to swimmers in distress. The improvements they suggested was not one that he expected. He said it needed to be designed to drop two life rings or four or more. Uh, in March, uh, Pedro posted his project uh, Riptide on Kickstarter, crowdfunding site, uh, set money for a goal, the help of five high school students in King Low, Thomas Haywood in Stanford. Pedro developed the accessory, which attaches to a drone that can be guided from a breach to a struggling swimmer and drop a life preserver, buying time until lifeguards can get to the swimmer. The project generated waves of attention on major outlets, partly thanks to Helen uh, uh, Greener, uh, creator of iRobot and Room of Vacuum Cleaner, who saw the 47-second demo video Peter tweeted on Twitter. Uh, Greener retweeted it to thousands of followers with a, the video going viral from there. He was tweeting about the company again last month and noticed that she had contributed money for the Kickstarter campaign. You could not buy that exposure, Peter said. It's just one of those things that as soon as she tweeted it, it got picked up. He says he plans to build a company around Project Riptide and establish it in Stanford, where he got feedback and assistance from King students who participated in computer science and robotics class taught by Susan Heinz. Pedro is a software programmer by trade who lives in Manchester with his brother, a Stanford resident. Pedro remembers being interested in spacecraft at an early age. They say how much it is? Okay. The Spanish drone is selling a device for $799 or $389 for a build-it-yourself kit. He has the drone attachment at $99, drone not included, with prices going up there from various functionality being added. An uninflated folded life ring is loaded in a drop mechanism that can be controlled remotely with a sensor triggering rapid inflation the moment it hits the water. The top of the line riptide lists for 5000 with full beach coverage package for resorts, emergency responders that include devices, and a week of on-site training. That's right. You need at least a week of on-site training at any resort to buy this. Yes. The more tropical, the longer it will take. That's right. Um, Got to make sure we compensate for tides and current. And uh, it would be interesting to see the total cost of that. You'd have to have a trained operator on staff at all times. Yeah. But $5,000 does not seem a bad, a bad deal. No, not for safety equipment. And the civil no. Yeah. yeah. Now, is that just to drop something that would be a flotation device, or would there be a line attached to it? Well, depending on how far you're out, it'd be hard to judge a line. Therefore, you know, if, if you yeah. if I got an inflated something I could grab onto, that's a lot better than I don't have anything but me. Yeah. Which makes sense. I, you know, the cost of the attachment, that would make sense. That's what it is. Yeah. Just have like a little packet, little water sensor, moisture sensor, as soon as it gets wet, it inflates. You saw the picture, right? Uh, you got a white drone, waterproof drone, and under it you got long legs, and under it is uh, looks like a rolled-up safety sausage. Yeah. Yeah, because what he's doing is he's taking a drone that normally would have had a camera mounted underneath there, and they've replaced the, what well, was the camera. Uh, 
Yeah, because that that DJI uh, Phantom drone, that is a nice drone. I was thinking if you leave the camera on there, then the operator could continue to monitor the person's condition Mm -hmm. and direct rescuers in. Plus, the rescuers can hone in on the drone above. Well, that that, uh, DJI makes a, I believe it's a six-propeller drone that has significant lifting power, and that one you could probably do a camera and have six buoys on it. They've they've got some that are designed to do large Hollywood cameras now, and they've got quite a bit of lifting power. And uh, flying these isn't as tough as it used to be to fly helicopters or remote control. Uh, It's gotten much easier. Still requires a little bit of training, but it wouldn't take a long time for you to train. You just have that as one of the things. If you're a lifeguard, you learn how to operate the drone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. And then, uh, how about this? I think this is uh, the dive club's next boat. Yeah, I, don't, I want to know the dive club so I can join. But then again, I don't think I could. <laughs> Actually, looking at that boat, I know I couldn't, you know, the membership. Forget that. Yeah, what what uh, we're referring to is, and get this to come up, is that this is a yacht that is able to hold another yacht. I wouldn't mind being filthy rich. I mean, filthy, filthy rich to have that. Yeah, it's the 196-foot jade from CRN that comes with a hydraulic-powered hatch, which can just deploy a smaller but similarly opulent boat. But I would, I would say that's what it, probably about a 30-footer, 28-footer, wouldn't you say? Uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's a low profile. Yeah, it's kind of a sportier boat. Yeah, built for speed. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you could, you still got the platform in the back. You could get some divers in the water. Is that a dive flag they've got in the corner? It's hard to tell. <laughs> nah, not unless it's green. Oh, is it green? It's having a hard time seeing the color on the screen. Yeah, the, the yacht's priced at uh, 48 million pounds. It can be filled with 18,000 liters of water and used as an indoor ocean pool. Or it can be used to park the boat. What's a HAMAM room? H-A-M-M-A-M room? Let's see, where's that? So it also features a gym, that room, and an aquarium. Okay, well, we're going to have to go back to the... I have no idea. It's got to be a UK thing. So we are going to go to the great big book of everything and see what a ham-ham room is. A bunch of people are snickering at us right now. It's probably a dirty word. A ham-ham room is a steam room similar to a Turkish bath where Moroccans habitually go each week to cleanse themselves. Okay, that must be the green room I'm looking at then. Yeah, I, I I think it is. It's it's a steam room if you only pay fifteen thousand for it. If you pay ninety four thousand, it's a hand hand room. Okay. Must be the candles that do it. 
Well, when you pick yours up, let me know. I'd like to. I'll help crew for you if you like. <laughs> yeah, this is another one. So we had the one a few weeks ago that had the helicopter. This one has the boat. Uh, this might be the same one, really, if you look at it. Let's, let's see. Let's go back to that. Forty-eight million. You know, that's really. I, I hate to say it. That's that's kind of a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> Bargain. Okay, well, that does it for Scuba in the News. So if you would like to buy us a boat, you can send us a check, contact us, we'll let you know. Or loan us one. Hey, you'd loan us one. Um, so let's see what else we've got. Uh, you can visit us on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com, that I promise I will be working on. I was actually going to work on it today. Uh, we've also got, you can follow us on Twitter, at Scuba Obsessed. Um, let's see, has anybody got any diving in the last couple of weeks? No, I feel bad. I, I needed to get wet last week, and I didn't. Nobody was available when I was available. And this weekend has pretty much taken up. We've got safety day down in Plymouth. Anybody want to freshen up on their parachuting skills? That'll be Saturday in the evening. So where is this? Oh, Plymouth, Indiana. And so Uh, they've got, uh, so you can do some skydiving? Well, right. They have safety safety day every year. Uh, So most guys... If they haven't already, take the gear in, get it uh, inspected and repacked, have fresh packs. And then they go through and they basically tell you tell you what not to do so you don't die. That's Which is good. Remember. Yeah, I like good, not dying. Good reminder. Yeah, that's, that's high on my list. But it's, it's a good event. So it's worth going to. Uh, let's see. Also, we have... Uh, Let's see, we, you can follow us on the Mud Club, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, and we've got some uh, scheduled events talking about there. White Star has their calendar of events started up. Rich Sinowick is the curator or proprietor of that. Uh, let's see, what else do we have coming up? Is there anything else? Well, let's see. Uh Jim, how, when did you have your presentation, and how did that go up there in South Haven? Oh, it was a small group, and it went very well. That was oh, that's right. Four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What lies beneath? Yeah, actually, it was. Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, that was at the South Haven uh, Maritime Museum. Yes. And so I did a presentation up in uh, Muskegon for the uh, Power Squadron up there. I did that on of all days. April 1st, uh, and then a, a similar program with a different slant up there. Uh, it was quite interesting. There was a number of people in the in the presentation that were divers slash ex-divers. Okay. So while we haven't gotten any diving in, we did get some diving-related activities in. Correct. Uh, and you said that the ice is breaking up near the pier. The, there is no ice on the North Pier so or North, South Pier side. 
South Pier side. So you can actually walk in there now and do a dive and actually get out. Okay. Now, how long do you think before all the ice is gone? Uh, basically, I was flying the other day, and it's basically gone. It had a little bit on the south side that was in a protected area. Uh, but it's been a terrible day, so I would be surprised if there's any ice out there. Yeah, because we had uh, rain. Last night it rained hard here at home. And then throughout the day we were having rain on and off. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be good for river visibility. So we may have just missed the river season this year and just go right into lake diving. I just need to get wet. See, now now we'll start to watch for when they get the buoys out. Yeah. Yeah, Jim, have you heard anything about when they're going to put that buoy out, or do you know if they are? Some uh, has inputs. As far as I know, it's still going out. I checked today, and it was not up yet. And you're talking about the one up in South Haven, not the one in off of Cook Plant. Uh, neither one of them are up yet. Right. Cool. Okay. So is there anything else? Anybody got anything to plug? Oh, let me see what we've got here. Not too much for April yet. We've still got, I've put down every the 11th, 18th, and 25th of this, not all Saturdays for dives to be determined. Uh, I know that as soon as Bob is off of his outage duties, he'll be chopping at the bit to get into the water. Any word on when that outage is going to end? I I really haven't paid any attention to it lately. But it was supposed to be a 29-day or so. Oh, wow, so a pretty quick one then. I would think it's coming up to be done. You used to hear all about outages when they were longer. Now when they're so short. They try to be short. Yeah, they try. I mean, there's all these things can happen. They can break something that you can't fix and you have to replace, and that can turn a 30-day into a six-month. But it's been a while since they've, they've had one of those happen. Probably the last one was when the turbine went bad. Yeah, 29 days is doable. I mean, they did a lot of prep work. And again, planning is the key. Having the parts before you need them is key. Yeah. You have that kind of stuff, then you can do it. And good, dedicated employees. Yeah, and, and, and they've got the incentive to do it. Uh, okay. And then uh, did we talk about the open house at Wolf's? Has that been since? I we... believe we did, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was went well. Yeah, I, I miss a week and I'm all out of timing. Uh and St. Louis Sam's in the chat room. I'm not sure what he's trying to get me to look at. He said, check, Craig, check Craigslist, which I know Craigslist is like a online classifieds, but I'm not sure what for. He said, Plymouth, Indiana. So here. I don't, I don't know if they're just looking at, is there something particular we should look at, St. Louis Sam, if he's still there? Um, 
I don't know, but you've got about an hour before you lose power. Oh, to buy a boat. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, let's take a look. Uh, mm. Okay, so Plymouth, Indiana. I wonder if that's that where he's got a boat? Plymouth, Indiana. That's not too far from here. I used to work yeah. in Plymouth. So we're going to go Craig. Whoops. He's sharing it on. I'm going to craigslist.org. Who's not a sponsor but should be. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't even know how Craigslist makes their money. Let's see. So I'm going to go South Bend. I think that's the local area. And we go boats, which I'm sure this time of year is just loaded with nothing but boats. Oh, he's he wasn't saying he was. He's talking about go to Craigslist to buy a boat, which uh, can be a good deal. And then Plymouth, he was talking about. Isn't that where your your uh, jump zone is? Well, that's where. One the closest one around here is yeah yeah okay so I was I was combining two threads together so not specifically so let's see, we got boats by owner boats by dealer let's do boats by owner you get good deals with boats I've seen even in St Joe driving around where if I had an extra twenty thousand dollars and some of these boats that were fifty sixty thousand dollars new you get a good deal on. If you had an extra twenty thousand dollars, you'd have another horse or ten. No, say it's not so. Oh, the truth hurts. Well, your wife would have another horse or ten. Yeah, it's a two thousand nine Glassron two hundred five GXL for twenty three thousand five hundred. It's got a pitcher. Yeah, it's just a speedboat, not a good dive boat. Okay. Yeah, the St. Louis Sam saying a bow is a hole you pour, you know, a hole in the water you pour money into, which is true. Well, isn't that what they say? Your fondest days are the day you buy it, and the day you sell it. Yeah, that's right, and it stands for break out another thousand. Yeah, and my and my grandfather who owned marinas he used to say, if you have to ask me how much, you probably shouldn't have it. <laughs> Also, he said the the rich people were the biggest deadbeats there were. <laughs> okay, so are we ready for that time of the show? Ever ready. Uh-huh. Did I do this one already? Let me see. Yeah, I have, actually. Ooh, this is a bad one. But that's Did it a... get any better over time? No, I've got the wrong one here. Um, Do you have anything to do do with chinchillas or chihuahuas? No, it didn't. I had one that Rod sent me, but then when I pasted it in here, it's not the the correct one. I must have overwrote it. Let me see if I can find it. It's the government fool. They were in my my computer. They're in your computer. There you are. We told you. They're in it. That you new, never that new those encryption oh, files. Goodness. Yeah. You started encrypting your emails, and now you're a target. It had nothing to do with the 40 times I said bomb terrorists. <laughs> oh, just stir the pot. Just yeah. stir the pot. 
Well, actually, that was one of my uh, my plugins I wanted to do. Is I wanted one that would that would take like the high trigger words and randomly insert it into every email you sent. And at some point, they would get tired of reading all your email. I was I was actually thinking about using them as like an archive service. You know, if you couldn't find an email, you could just you know send the NSA a message and say, "Hey, can you tell me what I said in this date?" Yeah. Well, that's, that's what they say. You don't have to back up your computer. Just ask them if they'd mind giving you a little more information back from yours. Okay. Well, let me see. I think this one might be the one I was looking for. Okay. So, okay, this one this one's going to be pretty bad. Okay. You ready? I'm bated breath, yes. Bated breath. So here we go. Stop eating fish. <laughs> <laughs> Cletus is passing by Billy Bob's hay barn one day when through the gap in the door he sees Billy Bob doing a slow, sensual strip tease in front of an old John Deere tractor. He performs a slow pirouette and gently slides off. First his right strap of his overalls, followed by the left. He then hunches his shoulders forward in a classic strip tease move. Let his overalls fall down to his hips, revealing a torn, frayed plaid shirt. Instead of grabbing both sides of the shirt, he rips it apart, reveals a stained T-shirt underneath. With a final flourish, he tears a T-shirt from his body and hurls his baseball cap onto a pile of hay. Having seen enough, Cletus rushes in and says, What in the world are you doing, Billy Bob? Good grief, Cletus. You scared the bejesus out of me, says an obviously embarrassed Billy Bob. But me and the wife have been having trouble lately in the bedroom department. And the therapist suggested I do something sexy to attract her. <laughs> okay, dokie. <laughs> oh, dear, I'll never be the same. Yeah. So how many people do you have in the chat room still hanging on after all our ramblings and ranting and ratings? But We had one. We had one who came in at the end after every everybody else. And those others didn't have anything to say. They were saying, some of them were saying really naughty things. So I think that they were just uh, spam in the chat room, but St. Louis Sam's a regular. And appreciate you and all the others who listen to the show and download. If you have any comments, send them to us at the show. And until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't eat any mermaids. What is it with the mermaids? it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. Plus.